We've been doing a series on Sunday morning through First and Second Chronicles talking about reclaim, revive, reform, return. And I left us with a question this morning as we came to the end of Second Chronicles. And it had to do with how is God going to ever fulfill one specific promise? It's a huge promise. You heard some of it actually echoed in some of these passages of Scripture. How will God fulfill this promise? And hopefully, if you were here this morning, you've been picking it up in the passages read, the carols sung. But it all comes to a spearhead, if you will, in this passage in Matthew chapter 1. And I want you to notice there, I have just three basic points. There's a promising ancestry, that's verses 1 through 17. There's pledged assurance, that's chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 18 through 25. And then there's a, a very pointed application or appeal, pointed appeal. So the promising ancestry. The whole point of this beginning of Matthew, if you're looking at, you've got it right in front of you, I read it to you, if you look at the very beginning of it, when it says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The whole point of this beginning segment to Matthew was not to bore you to tears with all the names. Come on now. <laughs> Tell me you stayed awake through all those names I read, right? I mean, it's not to bore you to tears. The whole point was to show that our, the Lord, our Lord Jesus' promising ancestry. By promising, what I mean is that God had made promises that flow throughout this biblical history. Specifically, promises made to two specific people. The very two mentioned at the top. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Specifically, promises made to David and to Abraham. And they flow through all of these descendants. Those who were faithful held on to these promises. Those who were faithless, and there were many in that list of names, by the way, who didn't hold to those promises. To promising ancestry. To Abraham, for example. God promised repeatedly this. Do you hear in Genesis 22, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. So there's a multiplicity. Your offspring will be so numerous, it will outnumber the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. Anybody ever go camping? You know, you get away from the light pollution. Have you ever looked up in the sky? Have you noticed how innumerable the stars are? Right? That's part of the promise. There will be this multiplicity of offspring, but then it becomes a specific offspring, one singular offspring. And your offspring will possess the gate of his enemies, the power structure of his enemies. It goes even further. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That was a promise to Abraham that runs through this ancestry all the way through. Every so often they hearken back to it. They remember God made that promise. But then there was a promise that God made to David. And you heard it when we read 2 Samuel 7, and you hear it in 1 Chronicles chapter 17. And I will subdue all your enemies, and I'll build you a house, a dynasty, and I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. 
and I will not take my steadfast love from him, but I will confirm him in my house and my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. Those are promises that were made, and it looks utterly impossible all the way through that family ancestry. This promise has greater and lesser moments where it looks impossible. Sometimes it looks vaguely possible, and most time it looks utterly impossible. But that's the reason for that long list of ancestors. To remind us again that God had made this promise, and what the reliable God says, the reliable God does. Even when it looks utterly unworkable, even when all of the scientific, historical, political, democratic, or despotic evidence shouts, impossible! The coming of Jesus was the culmination and the aim of all of that promising ancestry. And with it came a pledged assurance. And that's really picking up the story at verse 18, where it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, and it begins to lay it out for us. But notice how the birth of Jesus came in this way. Notice it's impossible. My friends, impossible for a child to be conceived by any means other than the normal physical processes of man and woman of a man's sperm and a woman's ovum. I know even with all of our in vitro fertilization and all that, that's still, you need both of those. You know what I'm saying? It's impossible for that conception to come in any other way. So by all outward appearances, Joseph finds that the woman he is betrothed to and is now committed to and is he's supposed to be committed to him, Joseph finds she's pregnant and so he's correct. You know, he didn't do anything. Well, he's correct in his assumption as it looks in all of empirical evidence. He's correct in his assumption that there is something heartbreaking that has happened because Mary is found to be with child. Something heartbreaking. Either she's been unfaithful or maybe something darker, like maybe she has been violated by one of her own family members. Something heartbreaking has happened. Mary is found to be with child, and so Joseph, being a just man, a fair man, a gracious and honorable man, unwilling to shame Mary, resolves to put her away quietly. Now you may think, how is that fair and just and charitable and honorable? Putting her away, he should, you know, all these other things. My friends, if you've ever lived in the Middle East, you know what would have happened to Mary? Anybody? She'd have been killed. Stone. Just go to John 8 and notice how the, the, the religious elites bring an adulterous woman, a woman whom they've accused of adultery to Jesus, and they want her put to death. And that goes on in much of the world today. And what does Joseph do? He does not push it to the courts. He does not do anything to cause her shame. He puts her away quietly for her own protection. Joseph, being a just man, being a fair, gracious, and honorable, honorable man, is not willing to shame Mary. So he resolves to put her away quietly because all the empirical evidence says something heartbreaking has happened. But then God breaks into the impossible. And he breaks into the impossible with assurances that are sealed with pledges. 
There's an angel. An angel comes and he appears to, to Joseph. And he tells Joseph that the impossible is God's doing, conceived from the Holy Spirit. He doesn't tell us how. Doesn't tell us any of the scientific evidence. Doesn't tell us how the mechanics work. He just says, here it is. Impossible. Right. Impossible. But God breaks in with the impossible. And notice the assurance, the assurance that comes against all of the rumors. Anybody ever lived in a small town? You know what I mean by rumors, right? Right? It doesn't take two seconds, and everybody knows your business. You know what I'm saying? So in spite, here's assurance in spite of all of the rumors and all of the gossip that may already have been filtering through the social media of the day. And the pledge with that assurance comes with the name of this child. Notice that this son of David, this son of Abraham is to be named. And notice his name. The angel says, you shall call his name Jesus. And in his Hebrew, it would have been Yahashua. Yahweh saves. Call his name Yahweh saves, for he shall save his people from their sins. There's the pledge. You will call his name Yahweh saves because he is Yahweh. He is Israel's God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he has come. Oh, amazing news. Impossible. He has come to rescue and to save his people from their sins. To rescue and save his people from their rebelliousness. To come and save his people and rescue them from their rascalities. He will save his people from their own self-inflicted enslavement. He will save his people who have turned away from the life-giving, liberty-giving, love-giving God and have fallen off into the pit of the life-snuffing, liberty-stealing, love-soiling ways. He has come to save his people from their sins. And then to add oomph to that pledged assurance is a Bible, Bible promise. It's down in verse 22 and 23 where Matthew quotes Isaiah who spoke and wrote 800 years earlier. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord and spoken by the prophet. If you were here this morning, you know how important that phrase is to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin, impossible, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. It's Hebrew. Emmanuel, with us. El, God. With us is God. And you shall call his name God with us. The pledged assurance about this very one with the promising ancestry. And so comes a pointed appeal. Pointed appeals, those last two verses, 24 and 25. The pointed appeal is very subtle, but it's real. Joseph comes to, notice that he comes to, he was asleep, he was seeing a vision in a dream. He comes to, and then he does what? He does what? It says that what he did is when he came to, he believed what the angel said and he did what the Lord commanded and took her as wife. When he came to, 
What did he do? He believed and stepped out, believing, acted on his faith. He believes the word of God. He trusts the message of pledged assurances. You may wonder, why would Joseph do that in the face of all the impossibilities? Well, partly it's because he remembers the pledged ancestry. Partly because he and Mary both are of David's line. Here you you have Joseph's genealogy specifically listed in Matthew. It looks like you have Mary's genealogy ancestry mentioned over in Luke chapter 3. He knows that he and Mary are of David's line, and that's what God promised. And what the reliable God says, well, I hope the reliable God does. It's what he's done in the past. Partly because he and Mary are both of David's line, and their promising ancestry means that if God was actually going to do this, then, well, it's the right family line. And he believes God's promise. And if God was going to rescue his people when all of the scientific, historical, political, democratic, or despotic evidence shouted, impossible, then he would have to do it in ways like this. He would have to do it in a most unexpected, unlooked for, astonishing ways like this. For to us, a child is born to us a son is given. Child, son. <clears throat> and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David. Child, son, throne of David. Hmm. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth. And forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. With whatever doubts Joseph had, and I can only imagine what it's like to stand in his moccasins for a while. Whatever doubts Joseph must have had, and I'm sure he had at least 15. And with all of the pressure of the public shame, that he already was probably beginning to feel, but definitely would feel in the future that would be heaped upon him, heaped upon Mary, and heaped upon the child. With all of the unlikelihood of it all, what does Joseph do? He trusted. He trusted. And that's the point of appeal. You, my friends, may have doubts. You may hear all of the scientific, historical, political, democratic, and despotic or despotic evidence shouting at you, impossible! But like Joseph, you are being appealed to. Trust like Joseph. Trust. My friends, Christmas brings us all to this point. I mean, what do you have the hope in? What other hope do you have? Where else can you go in the end? Oh yes, you may run off to your self-help and self-healing maharishis and and sages and high-dollar psychologists who fill whole convention centers to tell you their advice, but in the end, it is just advice. In fact, it sounds oddly like your own advice to yourself, your own self-created salvations that fall flat and stumble at just the moment you need them the most. 
because they're nothing more than advice and schemes and sad ends. Yes, you may turn to your government. You may turn to your political posse. You may turn to your relational life coaches who all tell you very similar things, things like might makes right, like peace through superior firepower, like just do it. And all of that circles back around to you doing, you going, and you blowing, and you huffing, and you puffing to make your own destiny. And when your destiny ends in disillusionment, and I have sat with many a dying person, when your destiny ends in disillusionment, what in the world are you left with? That's what Christmas brings us to. Where else can you turn? The choir in a minute is going to sing a song that should catch your attention when you read the title, O Come All You Unfaithful. I love the title. But the message is just that. Christmas brings you to this point. O Come All You Unfaithful. Come weak and unstable. Come, know you are not alone. Come, come, barren and waiting ones, weary of praying. Come, see what your God has done. See what your God has done. Christ is born. Christ is born. Christ is born for you. Oh, come, bitter and broken. Come, with fears unspoken. Come taste of his perfect love. Oh, come guilty and hiding ones. There is no need to run. See what your God has done. Christ is born. Christ is born. Christ is born for you. He's the lamb who was given, slain for our pardon. He's, his promise is peace for those who believe. So come. Though you have nothing, come. He is the offering. Come, see what your God has done. Christ is born, Christ is born, Christ is born for you. Christmas brings you to this point. My friends, if the Christmas story is true, and I believe it is true, then here is God in this moment, in this whole situation, in this coming unexpectedly, impossibly, through this child carried by this woman who was a virgin, here is God coming in the most amazing way to do what we couldn't and do what we wouldn't. I mean, God comes in humility. Think of it. He comes carried as a little embryo in Mary, Mother Mary's womb to do what? Well, many things. But He comes honoring her motherhood and He comes honoring her womanhood when all of the scientific, historical, political, democratic, or despotic evidence despised womanhood. He comes, God comes to us in humility, being carried in Mary's womb, honoring even the unborn. When all of the scientific, historical, political, democratic, or despotic evidence says that's just a piece of tissue, do with it what you will. He comes in all humility as a child 
born, as Wes said earlier, Pastor Wes said earlier, with all the messiness of all your other births. Moms, you know what that's all about. The blood and the water of the birth canal, the pain. He comes. Think of it. God comes in humility through the birth canal. He comes as a child, honoring childhood. When all of the scientific, historical, political, democratic, or despotic evidence looked down and continues to look down often on childhood. He comes as a man-child, honoring manhood, when all of the scientific, historical, political, democratic, and, or despotic evidence mauled, and even now still mauls manhood. He came as part of his own creation, submitting to being a creature in creation, thus honoring Creaturehood and creation when all of the scientific, historical, political, democratic, or despotic evidence degraded and continues to degrade creation. He comes as a Jew, honoring the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when all of the scientific, historical, political, democratic, or despotic evidence disdained and still often disdains Jews. He comes in humility, honoring humility. When all the scientific, historical, political, democratic, or despotic evidence calls for more hubris, arrogance. He comes in poverty, and he comes in lowliness, honoring the down and out. When all of the scientific, historical, political, democratic, or despotic evidence loathes the outcasts and the exiles. Christmas brings us to this. Here is God coming in the most amazing way. And so like Joseph, trust. Hark! The herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn King, God and sinners, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man, pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth born to give them second birth. Hark! The herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Let's pray. We thank you, O Lord, for our Savior Jesus, who is Yahweh, who saves. We thank you for him. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for this day. Draw us ever nearer and closer to you. May we run deep into Christmas, celebrating the goodness and refreshment of it, no matter what the scientific, historical, political, democratic, or despotic evidence shouts. In his name we pray. Amen.